Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you're well and that you had a good weekend and that you are grateful to be Catholic in the midst of our crazy, crazy world, that you're grateful to become, uh, to be Catholic. And I pray many of you even to become Catholic. Um, our churches are opening more, even though the virus seems to be spiking in some areas, and many of you were able to receive communion, and some on the tongue, and most not on the tongue. We started reading last week John Henry Weston. John Henry Weston is the editor and co-founder of LifeSite News, and he wrote an article, and it's titled, uh, Five Reasons Why Catholics Should Only Receive Communion on the Tongue. I've read four of the reasons. We'll take the fifth one today. And um, the shoulds are from John Henry's Reverend Hart and mine and many others. Uh, but as long as the church allows communion on the hand, there's no sin. I think there's desecration, but there's no sin in doing that. Um, and John Henry lists as the first point, um, is about the reverence due to Almighty God. And he goes on quite a bit with that. And um, uh, you can look it up on LifeSiteNews.com and then um, just type in five reasons why Catholics should receive Holy Communion on the tongue, and you'll get the whole article. The second reason is the authority of the Church. Again, who... Um, uh, who told us to receive communion on the tongue, and even today it's the norm. Communion on the hand is allowed, but it's not the norm. Communion on the tongue is the norm. Number three, the witness of saints and popes and angels who all spoke, uh, beloved, about the holiness of the sacred host and the fact that no one but consecrated hands should touch God. Uh, we shouldn't simply pick him up uh, with our hands, unconsecrated. The fourth reason is profanation or desecration of the Holy Eucharist because it's inevitable that when we receive communion on the hand, um, crumbs fall to the ground, and each crumb, each particle is the whole Christ, not a piece of Christ, the whole Christ, and he's trampled upon and crushed by the bottom of our shoes, it's an awful, awful thing. Um, and then we're on now to the fifth um, point, and that's history. And um, I'm going to read, we're going to read that today. We took maybe the first couple of paragraphs uh, on Friday, but we will we'll read the fifth point today. It's very important. And so many of us, so many Catholics are ignorant of history. Ignorant is not stupid. Ignorant just means uh, unknowledgeable um, for whatever reason. 
um, John Henry writes, the earliest accounts of Holy Communion are, of course, in the scriptures, where our Lord gave himself as communion to the apostles at the Last Supper. To me, beloved, it, when I needed to, uh, when I was on my journey to the Catholic Church, and I didn't imagine I could ever, ever, ever believe that the Eucharist was truly God, truly our Lord, anything but a symbol, which I had been taught through 18 evangelical Protestant years, a symbol, not God. Come on, it can't become Christ. The Catholics were practicing idolatry, we thought. And yet, I, I read the Last Supper account, and when our Lord took a bread, and first of all, oh, there's too much to say here, uh, let me just say, he took bread, unleavened bread, the matzah, um, uh, that symbolized the bread itself being unleavened, symbolized the bread with which the Egyptians f- f- uh, flew Egypt because it, they had to take it so quickly it didn't have time to rise in the oven. And so ever since then, communion has been on unleavened bread, bread that didn't rise, that wasn't leavened. Um, So I understood that. But then he held that unleavened bread in his hands, which was a symbol of the bread that didn't rise in the oven uh, at Passover, which had been 1,500 years prior to that. And he held it in his hand, and he said over that bread, this is my body. Now people have said, and I believe it now, that the first Uh, that the Last Supper was the first Mass. It was the last Passover of the Old Testament and the first uh, Passover fulfilled in the Passover Lamb of the New. Just magnificent. Um, And when our Lord said, this is my body over that matzah, over that unleavened bread, I thought back to Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and there was. What do you know? And he created animals and, and, and land and uh, fish and everything else uh, by his word. By his word. He said, let there be light, and light obeyed. And he said at the Last Supper, this is my body, not is a symbol, not represents my body, not will become my body. This is my body, and bread obeyed and became his body. This is my blood, and wine became his blood. It was the very first Mass. So John Henry writes, the earliest accounts of Holy Communion are, of course, in the Scriptures, where our Lord gave himself as communion to the apostles at the Last Supper. Some suggest that even there he might have given them Holy Communion on the tongue, especially since we read in the Last Supper narrative in the Gospel of John that our Lord dipped a morsel of bread before giving it to the Apostle Judas. However, even if Jesus gave the apostles Holy Communion in the hand, they were all bishops, not laymen. That's what happened at the Last Supper, the institution of the Eucharist, the institution of the priesthood. They were automatic bishops. However, 
John Henry Weston writes, it does seem as though in the early church there was at least some places the practice of communion in the hand. There was at least in some places the practice of communion in the hand. St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived in the 4th century, wrote, quote, approaching therefore, do not come forward with the palms of the hands outstretched, nor with the fingers apart, but making the left hand a throne for the right, since this hand is about to receive the king, making the palm hollow, receiving the body of Christ, and adding amen, carefully sanctifying the eyes by touching them with the holy body, partake of it, ensuring that you do not mislay any of it. So they would, I don't know if they took it. Um, Let's see now. Making the left hand a throne for the right. Now, most people don't, if they're right-handed, I don't see them taking the host with the left hand and putting our Lord in their mouth. And if they do, they just drop their hands and crumbs are all over the place. Um, I see most people um, doing it the other way so they can pick up the host with their right hand. Um, I don't know that anyone picked up the host. It said, making the palm hollow, receive the body of Christ, adding, amen, and then carefully sanctifying the eyes by touching them with the holy body, I would think it would be like that. Partake of it, ensuring that you do not mislay any of it. I just don't see anybody picking it up with their hands. But to do that, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it was. St. Cyril, of course, added the admonitions about not allowing the particles to drop, as mentioned in the previous point. And I don't see anybody, see people picking the host up with their hand, somewhere walking back to their seat, some standing before the sanctuary and picking up the host, putting it in their mouth and walking away. Very few people check to see if there are crumbs in their hands or anything falls on the floor. It's rare that anyone does that. It's rare that anyone pick up the host with their mouth. It's rare. I don't see it. Quoting again from Bishop Snyder, Athanasius Snyder's book, Dominus Est, that translate it is the lord about the history of communion on the tongue john henry quotes um, aware of the greatness of the moment of holy communion the church in her two millennium long tradition has searched to find a ritual expression that can bear witness in the most perfect manner to her faith love and respect this is verified when in the wake of an organic development Stemming from at least the 6th century, the Church began to adopt the method of distributing the sacred species of the Eucharist directly into the mouth. You know what? I'm going to end there and pick up right after our break, beloved. And after the second break, we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails. And if you'd like to get a head start, our toll-free number is one 877 an email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is at a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we are right in the middle of a um, an article by John Henry Weston, editor and co-founder of LifeSite News, about why we should receive communion on the tongue, even though, again, uh, it's not a sin to receive on the hand because the Church allows it, but the Church's norm is on the tongue. And we're at the point of the fifth reason now, which is the history of the Church, quoting from Bishop Athanasius Snyder's book, Dominus Est, meaning it is the Lord, about the history of communion on the tongue. <clears throat> and the quote is that, aware of the greatness of the moment of Holy Communion, the Church in her two-millennium-long tradition has searched to find a ritual expression that can bear witness in the most perfect manner to her faith, love, and respect. This is verified when in the wake of an organic development stemming from at least the 6th century, the Church began to adopt the method of distributing the sacred species of the Eucharist directly into the mouth. This is attested to in several places, in the biography of Pope Gregory the Great and um, an indication by the same Pope relative to Pope Agapetus. Um, the Synod of Cordoba in 839 condemned the sect, S-E-C-T, of so-called Cassiani 
because of their refusal to receive Holy Communion directly into their mouths. Then the Synod of Rouen in 878 confirmed the norm in force regarding the administration of the Lord's body on the tongue, threatening sacred ministers with suspension from their office if they distributed Holy Communion to the laity on the hand. Oh, I wish that were today. In the early church, this is uh, John Henry Weston continuing to quote uh, from Dominus Est of the little book of uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder. In the early church, before receiving the consecrated bread, people had to wash the palms of their hands. Moreover, the faithful bowed profoundly in receiving the body of the church with the mouth directly from the right hand and not from the left. The palm of the hand served as a kind of paten or corporal, especially for women. Thus one reads in a sermon of St. Caesarius of Arles, all the men who desire to communicate must wash their hands, and all the women must carry a linen cloth on which they receive the body of Christ, end quote. Customarily, still quoting Bishop Snyder, customarily the palm of the hand was purified or washed after the reception of the Eucharistic bread as it is up to now the norm in the communion of clerics in the Byzantine Rite. Now, it is that way in many places where their reverence is held in the, in the Latin Rite as well. In the ancient canons of the uh, Chaldean Church, even the celebrating priest was forbidden to place the Eucharistic bread into his own mouth with his fingers. Instead, he had to take the body of the Lord in the palm of his hand. The reason for this was to signify that he was dealing here not with ordinary food, but with heavenly food. To the priest, we read in the canon, the canon of John Barr Abgari, it is directed, oops, excuse me, um, what just happened, um, I'm sorry, I just lost something, but I will find it. Um, okay, I like that the priest took the host with his mouth from his hand. To the priest, we read in the canon of John Bar, uh, Bargabari, um, Abgari rather, it is directed that he receive the particle of consecrated bread directly from the palm of his hand. He may not place it with the hand into the mouth, but must take it with his mouth for this concerns heavily, heavenly food, and Bishop Snyder is careful to capitalize it because it refers to the Holy uh, Communion, which is our Lord. In the 1500s, communion in the hand was first introduced by Protestant reformer Martin Bucer, specifically aiming to end belief in transubstantiation. Bucer convinced Thomas Cranmer the heretic Archbishop of Canterbury, not to give communion on the tongue. Bucer taught, I have no doubt that this usage 
of not putting these sacraments in the hands of the faithful has been introduced out of a double superstition. Firstly, the false honor they wish to show to this sacrament. I'm going to repeat this from the beginning. This is too important. Booser taught, quote, and again, he was a Protestant reformer. He taught, quote, I have no doubt that this usage of not putting these sacraments in the hands of the faithful has been introduced out of a double superstition. Firstly, the false honor they wish to show to this sacrament, and secondly, the wicked arrogance of priests claiming greater holiness than that of the people of Christ by virtue of the oil of consecration. Doesn't that break your heart? That's utter blasphemy. It's awful. But again, faith is a gift. So if we believe, um, we need to be grateful for God and pray for those who do not have faith or who certainly have lost it. And uh, Bishop Snyder continues, but the practice had no place at all in the Catholic Church since it had been condemned universally prior to the year 1000. That is, beloved, communion in the hand had been condemned universally uh, prior to the year 1000. The Q&A style 1908 Catechism of St. Pius X gives only one option for reception of Holy Communion. It reads, uh, it's question 47, how should we act while receiving Holy Communion? And the answer is this, in the act of receiving Holy Communion, we should be kneeling, holding our heads slightly raised, our eyes modest and fixed on the sacred host, our mouth sufficiently open, and the tongue slightly out over the lips. End quote. From an in-depth and heavily referenced study of the question by Michael Davies, we learned this, and here John Henry quotes Michael Davies, communion in the hand was reintroduced into the Catholic Church as an act of rebellion soon after Vatican II. I'm going to repeat that, beloved. Communion in the hand was reintroduced into the Catholic Church as an act of rebellion soon after Vatican II. It began in Holland as an arbitrary act of defiance of legitimate authority. The practice spread to Germany, Belgium, and France. The consequences of this rebellion became so serious that the Pope consulted the bishops of the world and after obtaining their opinions, promulgated the instruction Memoriale Domini in 1969. This instruction is included and will be referred to from time to time. The principal points contained in it are, number one, the bishops of the world were overwhelmingly against the innovation, that is, beloved, the innovation of communion in the hand. Secondly, the traditional manner of distributing Holy Communion must be retained, and of course that's on the tongue. Three, it is a sign of reverence which does not detract from the dignity of the communicant. Four, that is to receive on the tongue, is a sign of reverence which does not detract from the dignity of the communicant. Number four, the innovation should lead the, this is the innovation of receiving communion on the, in the hand, should lead, could lead rather, 
to irreverence, profanation, and the adulteration of correct doctrine. And beloved, all of that has happened. All of it has happened. Therefore, the Apostolic See strongly urges bishops, priests, people to observe this law, valid and again confirmed according to the judgment of the majority of the Catholic Episcopate in the form which the present rite of the sacred liturgy employs and out of concern for the common good of the Church, end quote. In Memoriale Domini, Pope Paul admonished Catholics, bishops especially, that, quote, in view of the state of the Church as a whole today, this manner of distributing Holy Communion on the tongue must be observed, not only because it rests on a tradition of many centuries, but especially because it is a sign of reverence of the faithful toward the Eucharist. The practice in no way detracts from the personal dignity of those who approach this great sacrament. And it is part of the preparation needed for the most fruitful reception of the Lord's body. End quote. Michael Davis says, however, a calamitous error of judgment then followed. It was agreed that wherever the practice, quote, has already developed in any place, end quote, a two-thirds majority of the Episcopal Conference could petition the Holy See for permission to legalize the abuse. I, I can hardly believe even reading the Episcopal Conference can petition the Holy See to legalize the abuse. Not to say it's not an abuse, to legalize it. Legalize the abuse. That's what we have today, legalized abuse in the Novus Ordo, in any place where uh, communion is received in the hand. We have legalized abuse. John Henry continues quite clearly, the phrase has already developed, um, the phrase has already developed meant by that date, which was May 28th, 1969, countries where the practice had not developed by that date, were obviously excluded from the concession, and all the English-speaking countries come into this category. The practice had not developed in the English-speaking countries by 1969. When the National Conference of Catholic Bishops debated the question in 1977, Bishop Blanchette pointed out that the procedure approved by the Vatican was that permission could be that permission could be requested from the Holy See if the contrary usage prevailed he pointed out that the bishops could hardly take the second step without taking the first i tell you beloved i find this so tragic I came into the church where communion was received on the hand. I didn't. I received it on the tongue right away, which is how I received our Lord the first time at the Easter Vigil. I couldn't imagine any other way. But this is truly tragic, beloved. Uh, I think we're going to have to finish this tomorrow. We're almost at the end. And for now, we'll go to our break. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart, beloved, at one 511 5483 or email 
at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. programs and music all on one app now you can with the new iCatholic radio mobile app two apps in one with the new app you can choose to listen to talk programs or music it's convenient and easy to use with more podcasts and music features and a fresh new look you'll enjoy all the benefits of the current app plus a whole lot more If you have the current app, you'll receive a notification about the new app. Just click on the update button to download. If you do not currently have our app, download it to your iPhone through the Apple Store or to your Android phone by going to Google Play. For more information, visit thestationofthecross.com, click on Stations, and then iCatholic Radio. Double your listening pleasure with the new iCatholic Radio mobile app, your one-stop for great Catholic programs and music. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and the lines are wide open, and you are welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. And of course, you can also text at that toll free number. We do have a text. Um, from someone who writes in anonymously. Mother Miriam, please talk about how to speak truth to our family members who are far away from their sacramental life within the church. Grandchildren who need to not live in the world but focus on God's kingdom to come. Well, um, that's a rough one, hmm? because if it's grandchildren, then their parents, who might be your children, are obviously not teaching them and living the Catholic faith. Depends upon the situation, the ages, and all of that, whether you can talk to the children directly or to the parents. But the only way to speak truth to your family is to your family members is to speak it, to speak the truth in love. If you withhold the truth, that is actually 
um, I see as an act of evil. I'm going to say that strongly. If you withhold the truth from your own family, that's your vocation, that is evil because you're letting them go to hell and doing nothing about it. And your job is to get your children and uh, hopefully have an influence in your grandchildren getting to heaven. So if you fall down on that, um, you're partly responsible for their heading for hell. I need to say that. Now, that doesn't take in every account and every situation. Of course not. But in general. So if you withhold the truth, that is evil and you will be partly accountable for that. Um, If you speak the truth, you need to speak it in love without being judgmental. You need to come to them and say, and I don't know who you're speaking to, if your daughters or sons or grandchildren, you need to just sit down with them, get personal time and say, you know, um, and if you're first talking about it now, probably many years have gone by that you haven't done that. So I would say to them, I have a great apology to make to you now. There's not a lot of information in this in this text, so I don't know if I'm uh, on on mar- on the target or not. But to sit down to your children and grandchildren and apologize for waiting till now to speak with them, because there is a heaven and there is a hell, and they were baptized Catholic, but they're away from the church. They're not keeping the sacraments, which means they have put themselves in mortal sin, on the road to hell. And the only way for them to be restored is to go to confession, get back into the church, and never again miss Mass on Sunday and live as a Catholic. I would also tell them that um, many believe the time is extremely, extremely short. And God is giving us this time of mercy. Um to reform, to repent, to get our act together, so to speak, and to return to him. And this time of mercy may not last very much longer. We're in, I think, somewhat of a chastisement now with that, with the virus, but it's nothing compared to what's coming for those who don't repent. We have a text from Diana. Let me see where we are, Diana. Hold on. Who says, Mother Miriam... Thank you, and God bless you for your words of wisdom. Thank you, Diana. I wanted to ask, is it enough to pray for the world, the Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, or are we called to defend our our churches if terrorists are starting to tear down our statues, infiltration to our parishes to take the tabernacles? I've heard that the laity is responsible for this. Love and God bless you, Mother Diana. I believe so. I believe the laity is responsible. If our tabernacles are being robbed, we've got to get them back. Statues are being torn down. Um, We have foiled the enemy in those places where statues, uh, Catholics have gone out and surrounded the statues to protect them from the mobs. And where bishops, at least one bishop uh, in St. Louis has written um, against this uh, to protect the statue of St. Louis. So, I think it's our job. I think it's our job. Michael Matt of the Remnant often refers to the Vendee, who were simply lay people that saved the church. Lay people. 
that saved the church. You should, uh, oh, there's a film on the Vandi. You should watch it. It's, it's wonderful. Um, it's, it, the people near, uh, Angers or Nantes, uh, France, uh, which is where I was for six months in that area. Um, I think it'd be a wonderful story to read because I think we're going to need to replace those Vandi very soon and, and do what they did. Um, uh, we have an email from Mary who says, Dear Mother Miriam, I have a niece who lives far away from me. She is married and has two young boys under the age of eight. She has decided to leave her family uh, for another woman. Oh, how awful to hear these things. Just makes your heart sick. We are all heartbroken and angry for this. She was raised Catholic but was married outside the church and does not practice her faith. That's no surprise. I want to reach out to her, but I know I will be judgmental and she won't listen to me. How can I help her come back to her senses and to her family and to God? There's only one way. If you're judgmental, you are acting arrogantly. You're okay and she's not. You can't do that. I've repeated a statement that I heard somewhere, and I love it. The greatest definition of evangelism I've ever heard is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. You're not judging her, and God doesn't want us to judge each other. He wants us to judge the acts, though. Her acts are going to send her to hell, including the woman she is uh, coming together with. Um it's it's pretty awful, and she will be in mortal sin. She's already in mortal sin, um, and the children are in danger. So I would go to her. You're not going to be judgmental. If you are, she you know already she won't listen to you. So if you want to help her, don't satisfy your emotions, but come to her as a beggar who got bread and didn't deserve it and was not worthy, but you found bread And the bread is the bread of life. And you can tell her where to get it. Humble and frightened for her. That's how you come. We have an uh, email from Barbara from Chicago who says, Good morning, Mother. I enjoy listening to you on LifeSite News every day. You bring so much sunshine into my day. God bless you. Well, God bless you, Barbara. Thanks so much. She says, I have a question regarding the parable of the three servants in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Can you kindly explain what this parable means? I've heard it at Mass numerous times. I think I understand it, but just want clarification. Well, before I answer it, let's go to that parable. Hold on now. I, oh dear. Matthew twenty five fourteen to thirty. Um, it says this: the parable of the talents. For it will be, as what now we're speaking to about Jesus' return, our Lord's return, His second coming, and this is coming right in the middle of chapter twenty five. It will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted them to his property entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And the cast and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, there men will weep and gnash their teeth. So, um, hold on just a moment. We're going to go back to Barbara's email. And Barbara, um, I think the email means just what you, what you, what you think it means. Um, you say, I'm wondering, to the servants that gained more talents, they were given more, and the servant who buried his talents, his one talent, was thrown out, and the master was angry with him. I'm wondering what this means for modern-day Catholics and how we need to apply it to our lives. Thank you so much, Mother. May God bless you in your ministry. It simply means that we have nothing that we haven't received. And what we have received is not to lie dormant, not to be thrown away, not to dwindle away, not to grow mold on it, but to be used and multiplied for the kingdom. Elsewhere, God has said, to whom much is given, much will be required. We need to multiply God's talents. Everything he gives us, we need to multiply it for the kingdom. Everything he gives us is to be used for the kingdom, not buried in the ground. And that's what we are to do today. So we need to defend our faith. We need to go out there and preach the faith. We need to save our churches. We need to fight for this faith that we hold so dear because right now the enemy is looking to destroy our church and uh, 
everyone, Catholics, overnight. And at the moment, he's gaining a bit of ground in confusion, uh, spreading confusion, people being killed, the riots going on. It's, it's insane, beloved. And it's because, I'm just going to say this, Catholics have not lived their faith. We've kept to ourselves. And when we haven't kept to ourselves, we have acted like the world. We've been in the world and of it. I think that we have caused this. We have caused the confusion, the debauchery, and the unbelief in the world. I believe that. I believe that it's time we need to live like Catholics and act like Catholics and live our faith an uncompromising faith. There's the music for our last break, beloved. We'll be right back after the break, and we'll take your further calls then and your emails. God bless you. We'll be right back. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day. And we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. We at the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio want to thank you for your continued support of our ministry. Much of the technology and equipment we currently use to bring you our great Catholic programming is getting old and outdated. Thanks to your incredible generosity, we are moving forward with major upgrades to our broadcast equipment. Our goal is to build state-of-the-art technology infrastructures which will give us greater capabilities to keep pace with modern broadcast and media requirements. These upgrades will enhance your listening experience and help us to bring you even more great Catholic programming. Over the next several weeks, our systems will be under construction, and during this time of transition to new technology platforms, we do expect to experience some technical hiccups and glitches. We ask for your patience and understanding as we work through the many issues we expect to face. We hope you will remain confident that we are building for a long future of quality Catholic broadcasting. Please keep us in your prayers, and thanks again for your support. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. We have 10 minutes. Our lines are wide open. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. 
toll free or text at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com and we're going to go to a text uh, from someone, uh, Christina, who writes in and says, Hello, Mother Miriam. My name is Christina. I wrote you a couple of weeks ago about children fighting. I got the book by Dr. Ray, and it has been working very well. Thank you so much for the suggestion. Christina, I'm so pleased to hear that. And for uh, mothers and others listening who are wondering what that book is, it is... Um, Oh, my goodness, something to do with discipline, and I forget what it is. Dr. Ray Garendi, G-U-A-R-E-N-D-I. I don't recall, but it, it uh, the big word on the front cover is Discipline by Dr. Ray Garendi, and, and you'll get it. It's a wonderful book. Dr. Ray Garendi is a Catholic psychologist, and he's fantastic. Um Christina says, thank you so much for the suggestion. I agree with you. Um, She said, I agree with you that mothers should not have ladies' nights out. In my, we talked about that too, that mothers should not take a night off for ladies' night out. And I went to the Blessed Mother. Can you picture her leaving Jesus with Joseph? And you say that's a special situation. It is, but it's still the vocation of motherhood. You don't, you don't leave your home one night a week for a mother's light out any more than I as uh, the mother of a community would do that. Um, it gives a terrible message uh, to the family that, that you need a break and that you need adults, and you need friends, and and your husband and your whole situation is not uh, what fills your heart to overflowing. It, it's uh, I'm very, very much against it. In my current situation, Christina says, I have no friends outside my husband, <clears throat> and I used to bemoan this fact, but now I have realized that having friends would just distract me from my vocation. One question, I plan to homeschool once my toddlers are of school age. I'm so glad for that. She says, my husband and I have been discussing joining a Catholic homeschool group so I can get tips about homeschooling. Pardon me? That's excellent. Would it be disordered for me to attend the mom's meetings? Absolutely not. But I'm hoping that the mom's meetings are during the day. For example, maybe you get together once a week with your children and you have a meeting while you have older girls um, and maybe young teenagers who you're also homeschooling watch all the children and and teach them a lesson, teach them um, something about the Catholic faith, pray the rosary with them, all of that. That might be the way to handle it. There are probably other ways to handle it, but I wouldn't do it as a night out. Um, Kind of defeats the homeschooling um, desire. Um, Beloved, I have been talking for months now that our next newsletter is going to be homeschooling, and we have just been delayed by one thing after another after another. It's totally printed, completely printed, and it is at the mailing house. It will be in the mail this week. If the creek don't rise, so you should get it. If you're on our email list, uh, email and it's going to go out both ways, email and regular mail this week. So um, 
if you haven't gotten in, it's, um, uh, how do I want to say, it's it's a little late for the normal mailing house for you to get in, but if you uh, email us with your name and address, we will send you copies here from our Priory, and then you'll be automatically on for the next mailing. So just go to motherofisraelshope.org, click on newsletter, and you can sign up there, regular mail, email, or both. Okay, we have an email from Juan from California. Juan says, hi, my question is, a person should not feel guilty for living in the United States, right? Right, Juan, (laughs) unless he's here illegitimately. I mean, our family came from Guatemala to seek a better life, and we are good Catholics, and we do not fear the crime that is unfortunately crippling the country, and especially the city of Guatemala. The reason why I ask is this. Uh, the reason why I ask this is because as kids, we came to the United States and learned about past slavery and injustices in this country. But we should never feel guilty for something we had nothing to do with, including the death of George Floyd. The protesters and rioters make it seem like we should we should feel guilty. How do I overcome this feeling I get sometimes of feeling guilty, even for just enjoying time with my family? I think, Juan, let me say it straight out. I think it's correct to feel guilty. I think it's correct. Um, If you're feeling guilty, it means... The Holy Spirit is in you. You have a very good conscience and a right sensitivity. Why? Because even though you didn't kill George Floyd, even though you were in a part of slavery in this country, God doesn't see us uh, so much individually and even as a nation, but as his people. We are all children of Adam and Eve and um, children of Jesus and Mary by the new birth. God sees us all as his family. And so uh, I had nothing to do with George Floyd, but I believe I did. Because I said earlier, we, we Catholics, have not lived our faith. We have been a terrible witness to the country. We have lived in the world and of it. And so uh, can I assess my personal accountability for living my faith or not with George Floyd and all the other atrocities. I really can't. I really can't. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, which is in the loins of Adam and in the loins, as God spoke to the Jewish people in the loins of Levites. um, And now we are in Christ. And if we're not in Christ, we're in Adam and God sees us all as a people. So do I take responsibility for what others do? I do. I do. I think we have failed in spreading the gospel. We have failed in being moral examples to the world. We are our brother's keeper. I am responsible. I will not remove myself from that. What degree of responsibility, what I could have done, what I should have done, at the moment I can't think of that based on the life we live here. But I will not remove myself from responsibility and accountability because we are all guilty. We have all failed in spreading the gospel, in living a holy life, 
in un, in an uncompromising life. We have not been a light to the world. So I would say, don't go crazy in taking responsibility. But I say that your guilt is good and it's healthy and we need to pray for um, everyone else. We need to pray for the rioters and for the uh, people that are rebelling and people that are killed and children that are growing up with no family, no morals, only in this terribly, terribly frightening situation. So I think if we take some responsibility for it, how we have, I don't know how long you've been in this country from Guatemala, Juan, but if you have uh, got a very close family and you haven't reached out with the gospel, then the guilt would be the, it would be understandable and right, actually. So um, if you have reached out and you've done what you've done, then the guilt is simply because we're part of the human race and it is us who put Christ on the cross. Okay, God bless all of you and we'll speak with you tomorrow.